Well, it's great to be with you this morning. Uh, a little bit of a heat wave we have today, right? I think technically like a 50 degree feels like difference at some point. Uh, we had the privilege to host my family, uh, which is a bunch of West Coast people, last weekend. And the running joke was they picked the coldest probably weekend of the year, quite possibly of like the century to visit with us. And so uh, all the cousins, we were all confined into the house uh, for four or five days. Flights got canceled, so extended the trip. Nothing like getting your family to hang out a couple extra days when you weren't ready for it. And, uh, but you know, all of our cousins, uh, all of our kids have like lightsabers and they got like real plastic ones that change colors. So lots of broken things over the course of the weekend, no broken bones, but lots of other broken things. Uh, but my, uh, brother-in-law and I are really close, really good friends, uh, but he's a Texas guy. I'm a San Diego guy. And so we typically have a debate over what is the greatest fast food burger. And so from Texas, he believes it's Whataburger. For me, from uh, California, I believe it's In-N-Out. So anybody in the crowd ever had both? Anybody? Okay. Oh, so, oh wow, dang. So you guys know that, that there's only one true answer. Camera guys, check this out right here. That, that there's only one way to the path of heaven, right? Like, you got you to gotta visit the palm trees. It is fantastic. But we got into a different debate this uh, time around, which was what is the greatest chicken sandwich? And it was like, well, is it Raising Cane's or is it Chick-fil-A? And it's like kind of, there's only one real answer. So on the count of three, we're all just going to say it, okay? One, two, three, Raising Cane's. That's right. Okay. If you said Chick-fil-A, we'll pray for you. I know it's the Lord's chicken or whatever, but Cane's sauce will literally change your life if you've never had it. I love both. I don't discriminate, right? Everybody's welcome in the family of God, but one is superior if you ask me. And it's funny because uh, it just a lot of that is based on where you grow up, who maybe you hang around with, who kind of has some input into your decisions. And I was texting with a friend this week. I was asking him how uh, his kind of New Year's resolutions, his goals, the you in five years, the small habits over time. And he said, well, I kind of feel like my spiritual walk has been like this the last couple of weeks. And he sent me this, this photo that he found on the internet of uh, somebody who had made a choice at some point. It says a decision was made here. And if you can see it, somebody left behind some weights in favor of some Oreos, right? You feel like that way sometimes of like, I know what I need to do, but man, Oreos are delicious. I've been there. And when he sent me this photo, it really had me thinking about this week's message on this idea that we all have dual input. We kind of have competing thoughts or things trying to take control of our hearts and of our minds. And, and my mind always goes to those scenes in cartoons where you've got the angel on one side, the devil on the other. They say that the Flintstones was the first animated version of this, but it originates back to the 1590s. There was a play called Dr. Faustus, and it was one in which it talks about morality, this trope of morality, that somebody has a dilemma. But my favorite comes from the Emperor's New Greek if you've seen it, in which one of the characters, his name is Kronk, and he's got the, the devil Kronk and the angel Kronk, and, and this is the devil speaking to the angel uh, on his shoulder. He said, don't listen to that guy. He's trying to lead you down the path of righteousness, but then the devil one says, but I'm going to lead you down the path that rocks. And if you're like me, I think we sometimes feel that tension, that there is a dual input trying to lead us down a path and there is one that we know we shouldn't listen to, but it's there. It happens. It is seductive at times. It is convincing at times. And whether we like it or not, we give into it. And then there's another path. Maybe that we want to call that the path of God, God's plans, will for your life. And those are oftentimes competing with one another. And so what do we do? Because 
our minds can sometimes hold us back, hold us captive to living a more free life. You know, psychologists have recently found in, uh, found in a study that the average person gets this, get this, 500 intrusive thoughts on a daily basis. Like that's kind of sobering to think about. On a daily basis, you have an upwards of 500 intrusive thoughts that come into your mind. And they say that the average length of one of these thoughts is around 14 seconds. And so then you take 500 times 14 seconds and amounts to nearly two hours of when you are awake, you have thoughts that are coming into your mind. And these aren't necessarily all bad thoughts or all negative thoughts, but they are defined as thoughts that we do not welcome in, but we find that they are there. And I think for my life, and I would surely guess of yours too, that oftentimes intrusive thoughts are the ones that we wish weren't around as much. It's those thoughts that maybe tell you you're nothing. You're not good enough. You don't match up. You're a failure. How could you fall prey to that again? I thought you said you were going to be different. I thought you said you were going to change. It's, it's you in five years, and you didn't even make it two weeks. Who do you think you are? You ever had some of those intrusive thoughts? You see, it's interesting because our brains are extraordinarily powerful. They say that our brains can process what's called an exaflop which is a billion billions of operations every second with 20 watts of power. So that's a really dim light bulb. And so it's no surprise that often our biggest struggle when it comes to following God or staying disciplined or chasing after a goal is not something that happens with our feet or our hands or our muscles, but it happens in here. And it's also no surprise that if we go back to the very beginning. There's a man named Adam and a woman named Eve. They were living in the presence of God in the garden and, and his first tactic was not to get them to change their habits or discipline. It wasn't lust or thieving. It was simply to get them to think that they deserve different. To get them to think differently. You deserve to be like God. He's all-knowing. Why don't you get to be all-knowing as well? And it introduces sin into our world and into our lives that becomes oppressive. And it holds us back from the freedom that God has in store for us. So here's kind of the tension for us today that I want us to kind of unpack. Is that the destination of our mind dictates the directions of our lives. And what I mean by the destination of our minds, think about inputting an address into a GPS. When you put in a destination, it will then spit out directions. It'll dictate to you, go faster. Oh, I guess it won't ever tell you go faster, but you get the point. Turn here, go there, take that exit. If you miss an exit, it'll reroute you. And so the destination, what your mind is set, what your mind is fixated on, will curate, it'll dictate the path that we will follow. And that's what we're going to dive into today. So if you have a Bible, I invite you to turn with me to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. If you are new with us, man, we are so glad uh, that, that you joined us every single week. We want you to bring a Bible with you. You can download it on your phone. If you don't have a Bible, we would love to give you one because we don't just open the Bible and listen to it and cast it aside. We take notes in it. We highlight words. We circle. We underline things because in the Bible, in the Word of God, we believe is treasure for us to be found. And so every single week we dive into the scriptures because we believe that when we do, God has things in store for us and he wants to speak to us. We've been in this series called You in Five Years and we started with this idea 
And maybe you've heard this phrase before that we typically overestimate what we can accomplish in one year and underestimate in five. And so week one, I gave us all the challenge to think about what are some of the small habits consistently done over time that will have a compound interest in your life. And the same thing applies to us spiritually, not just financially or physically. Last week, though, I talked about that. Hopefully, our prayer for you as somebody who is attending our church, maybe you serve, maybe you give, maybe you're involved, maybe you're just checking things out. Our prayer for you is that in five years, you can confidently say, I am closer with Jesus than ever before. But that there is a monumental difference between being close to God and close with God. But today, I'm kind of talking about this idea of finding freedom in the life that Jesus has in store for each and every one of us. And that while we cannot always control the intrusive thoughts that make their way into our minds, we can most certainly determine the destination of our minds. Colossians chapter 3. It's near the back of your Bible. Look for all the books that end in Ian's, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, First and Second Corinthians, and then you hit into the other of the Ian's. It is the fourth one after Second Corinthians. If you're there, say there. And we are going to dive into the Word of God today. I want to do something a little different. We don't do this every single week, but you'll see why in a moment. And so I want to actually invite you, if you are able and willing to stand, would you stand with me as we read the word of God together? Colossians chapter 3, it's just four short verses, so you won't be uh, standing for too long. And this is what the word of the Lord says to us today. It says, since... Or perhaps your translation might say, therefore, then, you have been raised with Christ. Everybody say raised. You've been raised with Christ, set. If you are taking notes, circle, highlight, underline that word, set. Your hearts on the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God, set. There it is again. Your minds on the things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Jesus, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. As the word of the Lord, you may be seated. I wanted to ask you to stand because that's how Paul starts. He says, you have been raised. And he starts with this super big, bold, powerful statement, but he's only talking to a group of people. He's not talking to every person who has ever lived. He's saying, since then, therefore, a little, a little hint of hermeneutics, studying the Bible, if there is a since or a therefore, you read before to see what the therefore is there for. And so if you want to know what Paul is doing, he's kind of piggybacking. In chapter 2, he just finished this idea. You want to have freedom. You want to have new life because you have died and you've been raised with him. And he says, because of that, you have now, you yourself have been raised. And this word raised means to stand up and take a new seat, a different seat, a seat that wasn't yours before, but now it is. You know, one time in in college, uh, I I I went to school in Knoxville, Tennessee, and I had the opportunity to to go home. I forget what it was for. And so I went to the airport, had my tickets punched, and I went to the counter. And the Knoxville airport, Tyson Meek, it's a super small airport, so I got there like 30 minutes ahead of time, kind of similar if you're flying out of Champaign. And and I walked in, and I printed both my boarding passes because uh, the airline, uh, I think it was Delta, was flying me from Knoxville to Charlotte, North Carolina, and then a direct flight from Charlotte all the way back over home to San Diego. 
And so I printed both of my tickets, and so I get on the first plane, and it's one of those tiny planes that's like a 45-minute flight, and you just kind of hop over to, to North Carolina. I get off, and then I pull up my next boarding pass, and I notice something that I'd never noticed before on one of my boarding passes. It was that the first number, the row of my seat, was less than five. And those of you who fly, you know what that means. is you sitting in first class. And I start to freak out. Because I'm a firm believer that somebody made a mistake. Like, we ain't first-class fancy type of people type of deal. And I'm starting to get nervous. I look like a hood rat. I'm in my college basketball jumpsuit. And I'm like, okay, just keep it together, Eric. Keep it together. You know, they're, they're, they're not going to kick you out. Maybe they will. I don't know. Maybe they're going to be like, how did you get up here? Go back to where you belong. Not in, not in the coach, but with the baggage. Go sit underneath, right? And so I walk in and I hand her, well, you know, they start calling. Anyone who's in first class, come forward. And so I'm walking and my hand's shaking. And I hand them the ticket and she scans it and you hear that, bing, like that, you're good to go. And so I'm like, okay, am I getting, where's Ashton Kutcher? Am I getting punked right now? What's going on? And I walk onto the plane and I kid you not, I get there and one of the stewardesses is like, Mr. Friedman, welcome aboard. And I was like, oh, dang, look who fancy now. And she hands me a hot, wet towel. Y'all, I didn't know what to do with this. So I took it and I put it in my pocket. No, I'm just kidding. I've seen enough movies to know, right? Wipe my hands down. And then, you know, you hand it back to her. Here you go. Take my used towel. And then you get to do the most amazing thing. And you're going to judge me. It's cool. Pray for your pastor. They bring you a glass of champagne. Wasn't 21 yet. So sparkling orange juice. And I'm sitting there with my pinky up, and you get to judge people as they walk. <laughs> Look at you guys going back to coach. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Peasants. And this was crazy. It was like the craziest flight ever. Like, I get it now. Like, the, the tablet came out of the seat. Every, like, 10 minutes, Mr. Freeman, you need anything, need anything, need anything. The seats didn't just recline two inches. They went all the way back. The blankets weren't like an 18-inch square that you took home from the hospital. They had like real fur on it. Like it was bougie as can be, people. And I remember telling myself, I was like, I get it now why people live that upgraded life. And let me just be honest with you. We ain't upgrade life people. <laughs> like we fly Spirit Airlines. Not because we're spiritual people, but because we want the cheapest option possible. Like if there was something less than coach, that's what we would fly. But for one day, I got to experience that upgraded life because somebody didn't show up because somebody else paid for that ticket. I was gifted the opportunity to sit in a new seat. And Apostle Paul is saying that same exact thing to anyone who has expressed faith in Jesus Christ. He says, you used to sit here. This is where you used to sit. It wasn't anything special, and it wasn't anything in particular. It was kind of just, I don't know, boring, lame, mundane, whatever. Hey, we're all coach people, right? Okay, right? And he says, but you have now been raised with Christ, and you take his seat. You get upgraded to where he sits. The King of kings, the Lord of lords, the Son of the most high living God. You were there, but because of Jesus, you now sit here. You are now a son. 
You are now a daughter. You are now an heir to the throne. You get to sit and live in his majesty and his glory. And the Apostle Paul is saying to each and everybody who would listen, if you have expressed faith in Jesus, you've repented of your sin, do not for a second believe that you still sit here. You have been upgraded. You have been given a new seat. You have been raised with Christ. So sit down. Enjoy it. Sit back. Let all the good things come that belong to those who live in the family of God. And then he says something interesting. Something that he probably knew about himself. He says something that he probably knew about the Christians he was writing to. And I believe it's the same for you and I today. If you knew you've gotten that upgraded ticket, you didn't pay for it. You didn't deserve it. Somebody just gave it to you. And that's where you sit. Why do you still think and act and live as if you're back there? Why is it that we sometimes, as new creations in Christ, if that's you, why is it that our minds try to tell us, convince us that you've been given the upgraded seat, but you still have to live and act and think like the old one. Paul is saying the old is gone. It's been crucified with Christ. It has been buried and you've been raised with him. He'll write to the church in Galatia. He'll say it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm and do not be burdened again by the yoke of slavery to sin. And he goes on to say, there, there, there I believe it's verse 3 or verse 4. He says, uh, verse 3, he says, for you died. Your old self is dead It gone. It don't carry any more weight. It don't carry any more power. It is dead and gone. And he says, and you are now hidden in Christ. It's a word that means concealed. Ladies, you know all about this. You got to conceal it up, right? He says, you no longer see the blemishes. You no longer see the wrinkles. You no longer see the things that hold you back because you are now hidden in the name of Jesus. So why is it that in my life, in my faith, in my pursuing of Jesus, I oftentimes feel like I still sit here? Like, I don't know about you, but there's many days, weeks, seasons in which I know that to be true, but I still feel like I'm living and, and thinking here. It's because Satan knows the trick. He knows the lies he needs us to think and to believe. That's where our minds come into play. Yeah, you might have been given that upgrade. You might have been gifted that new seat, first class. But I'm going to try to convince you you're still in that old seat. See, Satan tries to tell us lies. And I believe there are three common lies that he tries to put in our ways most frequently to keep us from living into our 
raised with Christ's seat. Here's the first lie. The first lie I believe Satan tries to tell us is that we believe the things Satan tells us about ourselves. Jesus says, you are loved, you are redeemed, you are restored, you are valuable, you are somebody in my family, in my kingdom. I have died for you, I've given you life. But Satan wants to come in and say, but you're kind of just who you've always been. You don't get to be remade. You don't get to be restored. You're worthless. Nobody could ever love someone. Look at all the decisions you made. Look at the choices. Look at everything. Satan wants to creep into your mind and try to tell you, no, 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 no. You are who, who, who you, what you do. You are how much money you make. You are how nice your car is. You are how well put together your family is. You are your GPA. Don't believe that stuff that God says, you are a son, you are a daughter, you are an heir to his throne. He said, then let me tell you who you are. And that is a lie. That is an absolute lie that Satan says, let me try to tell you who you are about yourself. And when that happens, you say, don't you do it. Because I know who I am. Because I have been raised with Christ. That's the first lie. The second lie, he says, if I can't get you to believe lies about yourself, let me try to get you to believe lies about who God is. All-powerful, all-knowing, all-loving, full of grace and mercy and love and truth. But do you really think he would love somebody like you? Do you really think he has forgotten? Do you really think he has forgiven in everything? Do you really think he has the power to restore that brokenness that you faced when you were a kid, a child, a teenager? Do you really think that he wants to give his spirit to you? Sure, it might make sense of what he wants to do with him. It might make sense what he wants to do with her life, but they've got it way put together. Do you really think that God wants to live and do something different and in you and through you? Do you really think he's that type of God? And in that moment, we turn back to Scripture and we say, this is who God is. And when he says he is full of grace and mercy and love and truth, it does not change. It does not depend on whether or not you've been a good little boy or girl this week. It depends solely on who he is and who he has made himself to be. And then the third lie comes in. Because sometimes we can maybe wrestle those two to the ground, but then this third lie comes into play. And here's what this third lie is, the saint wants us to believe, is that heaven is a downgrade. You've been raised with Christ. You've been upgraded. You've been given an eternal seat. But do you really think that God knows what it's like to pay bills? Do you really think that God really knows what it's like to pursue relationships in this world? Do you really think that God knows what he's doing? Isn't that kind of old and dated? Isn't that kind of antiquated, traditional? Do you really need to follow his way, his path? Why do you need to live and pursue heaven and the holy life here and now? Why do you need to do any of that? I mean, it sounds kind of like a killjoy. Sounds like, like, like God's kind of trying to put a little uh, a hinder on your game. And we begin to believe that actually this life is better. And that there's more things and, and stuff to be had that God will be holding back from us someday when the page turns. See, Satan's greatest desire is to get us to not take our upgraded seat that Jesus has already paid for. And has already given to you. Because when we do that, that's when we start to think that we don't belong here. <laughs> 
if he can get into your mind, he thinks, oh, you're going to sit down. He's going to pull up. Just kidding. That wasn't for you. Sorry, sorry, sorry. We must have got our signals mixed. He, he wants you to think that this is only reserved for the super Christians. And that's why Paul makes it abundantly clear. The life of a disciple, the life of somebody following after Jesus is somebody who hears the words of God and puts them into practice because they have been raised. They've been given new life. And so he is adamant twice in this passage. He says, so set your hearts. Set your minds where? On the things above. On Jesus himself. This word set is a continual action word. It's not something you do once. It's something you do daily, reoccurring. It's something that you don't ever stop doing. It reminds me of uh, setting an alarm clock. And I don't mean the alarm clock on your phone. I mean like an old school OG alarm clock. And the whole point of an alarm clock is to do two things. Number one is to tell you what time it is. And number two is to tell you what time it is just really loud. Right? And the interesting thing about an alarm clock is it doesn't set itself. Somebody has to intentionally take the time to set it. The other interesting thing about an alarm clock is it, it doesn't change when it's been set. Unless the power goes out. Okay, I get it. Yeah. But the whole point of an alarm clock, you ever think about this before? I did. Think about the whole point of having an alarm clock in the first place. Somebody was trying to get up early in the morning to get their day started, and they kept waking up too late. The rooster died, didn't realize it, and then they, they missed the donkey into town, whatever it is, right? So somebody's like, I got to create a solution for this. And the whole point of an alarm clock is so that you might sleep peacefully, freeingly, knowing that something will alert you when it's time to get up. That you don't got to wake up every hour. Be like, okay, what time is it? What time is it? What time is it? Instead, you take the forethought to set something ahead of time to remind you when you need to get up. And so the Apostle Paul says, so therefore set your minds on Jesus and Jesus alone. You notice he didn't say set your minds on both heaven and earth. He didn't say, set your minds on the life that is to come and the life that's right now. He didn't say, set your minds and have one foot there and one foot here. He didn't say, set your minds on your upgraded seat, but also have a close proximity to your old seat. Set your minds only on Jesus and the life that is to come. And I believe it's that when we set our minds on Christ, it's when we live more free in this world. But this way, is that we live more free when our minds are set on thee. Some of you, you want to do that with me, right? Let's do it all together. Everybody, get your hands warmed up. Everybody say, we live more free when our minds are set on thee. Point to a neighbor and say, my mind's not fixated on you. Point to the other neighbor that you don't like and say, it's certainly not set on you. <laughs> that we live most free in this life. 
When our minds are set, fixated intentionally on Jesus and Jesus alone. Eric, how do I how do I know? How do I know this to be true? Can I can I can I actually trust that? Let me give you a social apologetic, if you will. Let's just say if if our if, uh, uh, the fulfillment of our lives and our being could be on the things in this life, possessions, money, success, influence notoriety, celebrity, whatever. Just imagine if things in this life and we set our hearts and minds on them could bring us ultimate, that there's a hole in the soul and that if there are things in this world that could completely fill us, then wouldn't it make sense that the rich and the famous would be the most overjoyful people in the world? The people who have all of the fame, all of the prestige, all of the money. They have everything that life. They have all the beauty. They have everything. Wouldn't it make sense that they would be the most joyful, the most content, the most happy? They wouldn't have any relational strain. They would have zero issues whatsoever. And it takes like 10 seconds walking through Target or Walmart or Meyer or Schnucks, IGA. Dollar General, you name it. it. Takes 10 seconds. And you catch a glimpse at People Magazine or Us Weekly, and you know that is not the case. Because if we could fix our eyes and our minds and our hearts on the things of this life, and it could bring us ultimate fulfillment, people would have stumbled upon that. But that is the issue. Because where our minds are set, we will be held captive to those things. And so if our minds are set on the things that will pass away, things that fade, things that spoil, then we will always be craving, we will always be hungry, we will still be living in our old seat, craving something new, different, raised, or upgraded in life. So if our mind is set on a number in the bank account, that I must be in a relationship to be a whole person, a GPA, a perception of others, a square footage, a body count, a size of rims on your car, I don't know, whatever it is. If our, if our minds are set on those things, we will be held captive to those things. And then when those things don't come, or perhaps even worse, when they do come, and you still feel like something is missing, Something is lacking. There is still something that doesn't sit right. You will either double down and be even more captive to those things. Or you can choose to say, perhaps there's a seat that's waiting for me. That when I am fixated elsewhere, I have a new life. A life that is fixated on things above. So two quick thoughts. How do we set our minds on thee? You're taking notes, write these down, follow along. Number one is that if Jesus is the destination, we should follow his directions. Like if you wanted to come visit me at my home, please don't all at once. I don't got enough space for all y'all. But if you wanted to come and I said, okay, here's the directions to my house. You go down this road, take a left here, make a right, da-da, stop signs, you know, look for these kind of landmarks, so on and so forth. And I gave you the directions. 
And somebody came up behind me. Oh, Pastor Eric don't know how to get to his house. Let me tell you. You would kind of be like, yo, what are you saying? That makes no sense. Because I'm going to trust the person who lives there, eats there, sleeps there, has his residence there. I'm going to trust that person to tell me how to get there. And so why is it that we sometimes get into the habit of following directions about following Jesus from someone or something other than him? What we do every single week, what we do in our groups, what we do in our ministries is one thing and one thing only is to disciple you to follow the directions that Jesus has given to anybody who has faith. I'm not trying to tell you anything that Jesus hasn't said. I'm trying to explain it to you so that you can know his voice, so you can understand his words, so that you can live powerfully in and through the spirit. But at the end of the day, I'm just saying what he's already said. I'm just giving you like the, the Gen Z version of the directions instead. And so it's interesting. So when God says, when God says something like, in your new life, in this seat, you are, you are loved. You are redeemed. You are restored. You are made whole. You are cherished. You've been given passions. You've been given gifts to make a difference. You can live in purpose, with purpose, on purpose. And he gives other directions too. This is probably the way that you need to handle your relationships. This is probably the way that, I, that I've set it up for you to handle your finances. Love your neighbor as yourself. It is better to give than it is to receive. Pray for those who persecute you. And sometimes we begin to think that, oh, no, 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 no. But like somebody else told me, I don't got to listen to that part. Somebody else has told me, that that part's kind of not really it anymore. If Jesus is our destination, then we should follow his directions. If we neglect our obedience, we might as well just forget the destination altogether when we try to blaze our own trail. So Jesus said, he who hears the words of mine and does not put them into practice is a genius. Brilliant. Super smart, figured out a different way that I didn't figure out. No, 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 he says, you are a fool. And it is our goal, it is our job, it is our dream to multiply as many disciples as possible who seek and know and hear and obey the voice of God, the word of God, the spirit of God, but it begins by reminding you that in Jesus Christ, you sit in that upgraded seat. Here's my second point of application as we wrap up the message this morning is that following Jesus' directions is always easier and better with co-pilots. I don't know about you, but for me, when I am alone, and I don't just mean like I'm in the shower or in the car by myself. What I mean is alone as in outside of community with other people. When I am alone, that is when the negative, the intrusive thoughts really start to come in. When I am alone outside of community, that's when I really begin to believe some of the lies that Satan wants to tell me. When I am alone, it's when I really start to believe, you know, perhaps heaven is a downgrade. That's why one of our sayings around here is that formation happens in community. 
Because when you are alone, who is there to redirect you? Who is there to encourage you? Who is there to lift you up? When you are alone, you become an easy target. And we are so big on being in community here. Not so that Samuel or Michelle or staff members can have jobs, but because we believe that that is the greatest way to live in this life as we anticipate the seat that is to come. I firmly believe that why we've seen like a, like a micro, small revival in our women in our church is because they have committed to community with one another. That when they're tired, when they're exhausted, when they don't want to go, they show up anyways and they encourage one another in and to and through the word of God. I talked to a couple this week who've been in their group together for 12 years, 12 years. And they say, it's just as vibrant as ever been before because we know each other. We understand one another. We know like subtle hints. They don't even have to say something. We can just see it on their face. And so men, we're up. We're next. Mencom starts a week from tomorrow. Week from tomorrow. Can you give me five weeks? Because here's the thing, if you're a dude in the room, chances are you desire community. Chances are you are craving it and you have no idea how to ask or how to seek it. And we're gonna have food, we're gonna have competitions, it's gonna be fun, it's gonna be a great time of discussion with one another. But my prayer has been that God, that, that you start a revival first and foremost with the men here at our church. Because as the men go, so do the families. As the men go, so does the church. As the men go, so does the... Because here's what I know. It's not just for men, it's for everybody. But we have a tendency to drift back to that old seat. We have the tendency to maybe find our way. We take a seat and we start to sit down and we get kind of comfy and then something happens, busyness comes along, a lie gets thrown our way and we begin to kind of drift. And what I need... And what you need is somebody, as, as you start to drift, to say, no, 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 where are you going? This isn't where you sit, you sit here. Why, why, why are you getting up and moving? You, you know that, that this is where we live, but you don't know what I've done, you don't know where I've been, you don't know what I've been up to the past week. It doesn't matter, you've been forgiven, you've been redeemed. The grace of God, the mercy of God, the love of God still wants to, it hasn't changed anything. And as you start to get up and drift, the whole point of community the whole point of having, having co-pilots is to say, no, 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 we follow the directions of Jesus together because our minds and our hearts are fixated on the seat because we have been raised with Christ. We are new creations who now live differently. And you cannot do it alone. I cannot do it alone. We need one another. So as we continue to worship this morning, um, I was praying about doing this next part and I believe the spirit is saying, no, 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 we doing it. Which is always one of those things where it's like, yeah, but it's like weird. We don't do this very often. As we prepare for communion, what I wanna do actually is I wanna pray. We pray a lot, that's not what's different. But I'm gonna invite you in some capacity to stand, not right now. Because I think that, that a lot of us 
came into the room this morning held captive by one of those three lies. And the spirit is tugging at your heart and mind saying, you need to shut that lie down. And I wanna pray over you and I wanna pray with you and I wanna pray for you so that you can live in that upgraded seat, that gifted seat because you have been raised with Christ. So here's what I wanna do. We're gonna go into communion with this. Communion is our chance to remember the body uh, of Christ broken for us by his, uh, the bread, the juice represented in the cup. We'll give a timer on the screen to reflect, but as we go into this, I'm gonna ask that, that we all close our eyes, we all bow our heads, but then I'm going to, to pray specifically and I'm gonna invite uh, uh, one after another if there is one of those three lies that you feel like you have been held captive to, I wanna pray over you and with you this morning so that you can experience the freedom because you have been raised with Christ. So let's all bow, bow our heads in prayer, if you don't mind. As we go before the King of the universe. Jesus, we thank you that you have risen and that if we have died to ourself, we are raised with you. We wanna live in that new seat, that raised seat, not the old one. And so this morning, if you are in our room with us and you believe that you have been held captive by the lie of what Satan tells you about yourself, I wanna ask you to just stand to your feet. Just stand to your feet right where you are. I know this is gonna be bold. I know we don't do this a lot. Don't worry about who's sitting next to you. Don't worry about what anybody around you might think. And I wanna pray for all of you standing right now in the room that through the power of Jesus, that you repent of that lie, that that lie is not true. And whatever lies or thoughts have come your way about yourself, you tell them to shut it because you are loved and you are redeemed and you are restored. It doesn't matter your past, it doesn't matter your brokenness, but the spirit of the living God for those by grace through faith have received new life. Jesus be with them. Please stay standing. For those that wanna go on to the second line, those who have believed lies about God. If that is you this morning, you feel like you have been held captive by those lies, would you stand to your feet? Would you stand to your feet as a symbol that I now am raised with God and I don't wanna believe the things that people have said about him, that I am loved, that he cares for me, that I am a son, a daughter, I am cherished. Lastly, maybe it's been that third lie that heaven is a downgrade that there's been sin and selfishness, your own way has been holding you back. If that's you this morning, I wanna invite you to your feet. Just stand up right there in your seat. And as you stand, you stand as an act of repentance. Say, Jesus, I give this lie to you. Help me to fixate my eyes on you and you alone. For those of us who might still be seated, I invite everybody to stand this morning, if you're able and willing, as I pray for us to continue in worship into our time of communion and song. Jesus, we love you, but because you first loved us, 
five years from now, God, we want to live more free. And we pray here and now a prayer of gratitude, of thanksgiving for the raised life that we have in your son, Jesus, in Jesus alone. It's your name that we pray. Amen. You might be seated. As we go into a time of communion, I encourage you to reflect, to think. At any point during uh, the rest of our service, if you feel led or compelled to come forward at the altar of God to pray and to kneel, we invite you to do so as well. I'll leave you to worship.